Today I'm here with Cindy and Jonathan Murillo, and we're going to be talking about some of the toughest questions in theology. Let's take a drink. You're listening to the Leadership in Theology with a Cup of Joe podcast. So Cindy, Jonathan, thank you for um, being with us today. Um, go ahead and just introduce your guys, yourselves. Yeah, um, so I'm Jonathan, and um, I'm really excited to be here today. Um, currently, like my life, you know, looks like um, being married to Cindy, which is amazing, and um, also serving as the director of programs for Fieldwork. We are an incubator for social good leaders and startups. So people who are trying to do good work in the world. So churches, nonprofits, businesses, we help them grow as leaders and to grow their organizations. And uh, uh, I'm also the founder of a ministry called uh, Standard, and so you can follow us. We are Standard, and we create discipleship resources for young men. Awesome. And I'm Cindy. I work at Vanguard University. Um, I'm the assistant director of student programming, so I get to work with amazing group of students that put on um, really fun events for the students on campus and um, other creative students that create marketing material for those events. Um, and on the weekends, you can find me eating Chick-fil-A. And except Sundays. Except, except Sundays. Sundays. And... Um, watching a funny show on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's so basically how this po- this podcast is not like any other podcast that we've done so far. Um, what we're going to do is I'm going to ask a series of yes or no questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we have beautiful signs that say how yeah <laughs> or how no. That's right. And we're going to choose which one we think is the proper answer for the specific question. And we kind of have to defend whatever answer we hmm. have. Now, that's going to be the most challenging part. We're going to talk about questions from afterlife, um, success, even including politics and theology. But let's start off with a real easy one. So the first question, the first question that we have is, is hell real? So I'm going to give you a a real quick second to think Uh about it and just collect your thoughts and select which one you think is the proper answer. Um, for this question. So the question, once again, is, is hell real? Okay. So once you have your answer, go ahead and show it to the audience. No cheating. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) Jonathan says, hell no, and hell yeah. Uh, Cindy says, hell yeah. yeah. And Uh I'm going to go with hell yeah. Well, I'll say what I've grown up learning that hell is. Because I think the older I'm getting and just the more I'm understanding and even just being married to you and (laughs) hearing the things that you've learned in seminary has, um, is starting to shape the way I think about this question. But the way I've, what I've learned that hell is, is it's a scary place where (laughs) bad people go, Mm -hmm. um, that didn't follow Jesus. It's going to be hot. It's forever. (laughs) Um, and I don't want to go there. Yeah. That's, That's essentially what I learned in Bible school. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a fun place to go. All right, Joe, what, what well, do you think? Well, oftentimes that? in Christianity, we like street evangelists will say turn or burn. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously they have the perception that hell is real. And I think that in this instance, we're talking about the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So in the essence of like, what is their afterlife? Um, I know in Christian theology, I mean, we believe that there is an afterlife and there is a heaven and there is a hell. And I believe that hell is definitely real because um, there has to be more to life and there has hmm. to be more afterlife because 
what are you really living for if hmm. there's nothing after life? Hmm. Yeah, so I totally resonate with all those things. It's also how I was raised. And um, that question that you just ended on is like, what are you living for? There has to be more. That's totally affirmed in the biblical story. But oftentimes what we kind of um, cannot grow up hearing in certain traditions, we just have what we've been handed as like, this is our doctrine on this issue. And then there's no questions asked. But if you look at the whole of church history, there's so much variance into how the church, the Orthodox church, the true believing professing, practicing Church of Jesus Christ. There's variance in how we've thought about this for a while. Um, what you described, Cindy, is a, a theory on hell that has been a doctrine for a lot of church traditions, and it's called eternal conscious torment. So that is saying that what hell is, is you're conscious, right? And you are being tortured, um, and, you, and it's eternal. So it's really, really basic. It's in the name, eternal conscious torment. Yeah. That's one theory on hell um, that is presented to us. When I talk and I say, like, you know, hell's not real, it's really, it's that hell's not what we think it is. Uh, and that matters because if you yeah. think that everything is going to burn away and all that matters is what you do with your soul, that affects how you treat people. That affects mm -hmm. how you treat, you know, your work. That affects how you treat, you know, your family and, and the, um, the community that you're a part of. Because if you think all you have to do is say a magic prayer to just get a ticket to go to heaven when you die because everything else is going to burn away, well, then that's going to shape you in a certain kind of way mm. um, but if you believe that what god is really after is the renewal of all things yeah. the restoration of all things then all of a sudden all things matter to how you are actually following jesus in that way do pets go to heaven now this is a very controversial question now uh you could take your you could take your stand on it um and we're just go ahead and uh show your answer show all right there we go um Okay, oh, yeah. so uh, <laughs> this is gonna be fun. So uh, I say how no. Um, uh, Cindy says how yeah, and Jonathan says how yeah as well. Absolutely. Um, my perception since um, I was little is that animals don't go to heaven because they don't have a soul mm. and they can't choose. Mm. So that's that's where I base my answer off of. Um, the idea that animals don't have a soul, mm. so they can't choose the difference between good and evil. Got it. So if you guys can go a little bit deeper on okay. why they go, or <laughs> how, yeah, to why pets go to heaven. I truly am not like a pet person. Like I didn't grow up with like loving pets or having like my favorite pet. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see, you know, Roxy in heaven or whatever. <laughs> um, but I do have, I do think there's going to be animals in heaven. Like, I just have this idea of, like, heaven being this awesome, beautiful place. And I'm mesmerized by animals. Like, yesterday night before going to bed, I was just watching all these videos of, like, <laughs> killer whales, like, just swimming in the ocean. Like, I think they're so beautiful and so awesome that I'm like, how can animals not be in heaven? And I think that God, like, really loves animals. Like, they're in Genesis. And, okay, there's a verse, and I'm going to get it wrong. But there's a verse about the um what is it the wolf and the lamb right mm -hmm. being together and i think that it's talking about them being together in heaven <laughs> so i just i truly think that there's going to be animals in heaven i could be completely wrong but we'll find out <laughs> <laughs> yeah well to kind of piggyback off of my last answer and to go off of that verse um what we see in scripture is that again it's not about 
us being separated mm -hmm. from Earth as it explodes and the Antichrist takes over and there's all this bad stuff that happens and it burns away and we're safe because we're blessed and holy and so we're safe in some heaven where we're floating away. That's not what the vision of Scripture is. Scripture's always been about the renewal of all things, the restoration of all things, and the new heavens and the new earth. That's how the story of Revelation ends, is yeah. I'm making all things new, and heaven and earth are now one. And the image of the garden, uh, that we start off with this garden where we're dwelling with all creation and with God in his presence, ruling and reigning with him. And then we know the whole story of sin kind of separates us, and then God's redemptive pursuit of us leads us to Jesus, and Jesus then starts us back on that track towards that. And we see it in fruition mm -hmm. in Revelation, when now the garden is turned into a garden city where there's a city on a hill that is coming out of the heavens and it's beautiful like a bride prepared, right? And so then heaven and earth become one place. And so that is where we see these images where you know how all things are made new? You know how all sin and evil and pain have been wiped away? When a lion actually lays down with the lamb, when a wolf can actually play and not feel the, the drive to, to murder other mm -hmm. animals. And so it's an image that the prophets talk about that that's when we know that God has become king and that we are ruling and reigning with him like the image in the garden when we actually see things that should be enemies that should be contentious that should be um, dominating over people so that's a sign that the prophets talk about that that's actually how we know that all things have been made new is when animals are against their instinct yeah dwelling with each other with humans in God's presence. And I'm just so ready to freaking ride an elephant <laughs> in heaven. Yeah. If you want to get really weird, I think we'll actually like be able to Dr. Doolittle. Like, why not? Why talk not talk to, to them? Yeah, why not? That'll be, but that'll I have be, no proof on that. So. That'll, that'll definitely be an interesting take. So the next question is, is money bad? Oh. Mm. Is money bad? Mm. Go ahead and select whatever answer you want to select hopefully um okay go ahead and show it <laughs> okay okay wow, so we have we have how no that's awesome so everyone yeah. says how no um i'm no theologian um <laughs> but i believe the word of god says the love of money yeah um is is what is bad yeah. um you guys can of course go a little bit deeper into into that yeah, well, I mean, that's the verse that came to mind for me was that it's very specific on the posture of the heart and the um, when when money becomes an idol, when it becomes the end all be all um, in, in and of itself, money is neutral. It's morally neutral. It's not good. It's not bad. It is just uh, an enabler for your heart state as it is already. Mm -hmm. And so however your heart is, it's going to be just more that when you have the resources to act on the things that are in your heart. Um, and so it, it becomes an, an amplifier. Yeah. All resources is an amplifier of the state of your heart already. Um, but yeah, that scripture that talks about it's the love of money that's the root of all evil because it's the um, self-interest. It's the original sin we see in the garden where it's putting my own needs, my own will above how God's designed things to flow naturally according to his will and his, uh, his wisdom. And so um, money in and of itself is not good or bad. It just is, and mm -hmm. it's what you do with it that really um, can cause great harm or great good. So mm -hmm. that's what I think. I agree. I mean, not going to lie, we all wish we had more of it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think, again, that it goes to the posture of the heart. Like when yeah. I'm asking myself, when I'm super stressed and saying, oh, I wish I had more money so I can get this, 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 and this. I'm like, wait a minute. Let me check myself. Like yeah. why am I wanting more money? Um, 
And then when I get to the root of it, a lot of times it's not for the right reasons. Yeah. So, but when I have, like, you know, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, what the what you do with it and then the posture of your heart. Yeah. For the longest time, I thought this answer to this question was hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because I misinterpreted that scripture into thinking that money is bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of... Um, knowing that it's the love of money yeah. and the heart posture mm-hmm. behind it. Absolutely. Um, so the next question is, is it bad to desire to be successful as a Christian? Mm. Mm. Is it bad to desire to be successful Dang. as a Christian? Go ahead and show your answer. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so we agree again. So how right. no. We're on a streak. No. Next. <laughs> <laughs> next question. Yeah. Um, I feel like this question can't, a lot of Christians would actually say how, yeah, too. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. like we have this guilty conscience of like, if we do good, if we do, if we're successful, then it devalues our relationship with God. Yeah. But I think it, our success should be rooted in our relationship with God and out of the idea of like, I want to be successful at this to glorify God. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like when our, our desire to be successful overpowers our desire to glorify God, that's when this question becomes how yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you guys can probably go a little bit mm. add on to a little bit yeah to that. that's really good this question is interesting um for a while the preachers and sneakers thing was mm-hmm. going around if yeah. you guys remember that um and i kind of feel like it ties into this a mm-hmm. little bit and that's a whole other conversation but um yeah that's what this question made me just reminded me of i don't think um, wanting to be successful is bad. I think again, like we talked about money, it's all about like the posture of the heart. What is the reason for success? Like, why do you want to be known or why do you want your brand to be shown or whatever it is? Um, is it like you said to glorify God or is it to glorify yourself? And I think when you can ask yourself that question and answer it honestly, that's when you know if it's a hell yes or hell no. Mm, Yeah. I think like God created us as humans to join him in, in making the world into something, right? And so the he says like go, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and like here here's all you need to go and make something. And I think we have that in our hearts that we want to make something of our lives because we're hearing that original commission to join him in making the world into something beautiful. And I think that's where our pure like desire to be successful comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can so often get hijacked, right? Like from that Genesis three scene where we're like we just grasp at like other definitions of success. So I say it depends on what your definition of success is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly, this is a real challenge for me. I can start to think about, you know, building platform, building brand, building like audience and clout and being influential. And I tell myself it's from like a good motive place, right? Yeah. Um, or if I just had this much more money, then I'd be able to do all these great things for God. You'll mm-hmm. thank me later, God. <laughs> You're <laughs> yeah. welcome. But really, I think. Um, a resource that's been helpful for me to reshape like my um, my definitions of success has been like Matthew 25 and the parable of the stewards. And no matter what each steward was given, at the end they were asked the same question, right? Like, what did you do with what you were given? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter the amount, um, the 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 like the standard or the metric of it was all the same. It was well done, good and faithful. Yeah. And so good and faithful is you know Jesus has given us a little sneak peek there. Like that's the definition of success. Like good in terms of like how we're cultivating our character and faithful in you know what do we do with what we've been given 
Yeah. And faithfulness is actually a lot harder than success. You know what I mean? Mm. Like faithfulness means that you're grinding even when nobody's watching. Yeah. Faithfulness is like you're showing up and you're putting your all into it. Like you said, that excellence to glorify God, mm-hmm. even when there's not that um, immediate accolades of anybody else. And so um, that means, we, you know, it doesn't mean we hustle any less or we grind any less. It just means we do it, you know, in partnership with Jesus and the spirit um, and for the right reasons. And we let Jesus take care of the rest after that. So Absolutely. Yeah. So good. Um, the next question now is the sabbath really necessary is the sabbath really necessary okay go ahead and show the answers okay i think it's a clean sweep again oh three in a row (laughs) three in a row come on we need to start disagreeing more this is no fun you need that tension that drama (laughs) um so here we're talking about sabbath rest um, so we're not talking about the Sabbath day, but it's kind of one of the same. Um, I think it is important for us to rest. We see that God rests. I know for me personally, this is something that I really, really struggle with. Um, but I think it is necessary. And we see it in scripture that, G- that God rested after, mm-hmm. um, creating the, the, the world. Mm-hmm. And you guys can go ahead and yeah speak a little bit more into that. I'll speak into what I, what I thought Sabbath was, mm-hmm. um, similar to like what I learned in Sunday school about hell. Like I thought Sabbath was just a day where you go to church, go home, don't do anything, like can't have fun. You just have to like sit and be and read your Bible. Yeah. Read your Bible. Exactly. Like literally pray and read your Bible that day. And that sounded so boring. Like why would I want to Sabbath? That sounds terrible. But like, why would I just want to sit there all day? That doesn't, feel life-giving to be sitting there all day and just like reading my bible um although read your bible it's good but (laughs) like for 24 hours that just sounded like not fun and so jonathan and i learned about sabbath at the same time in grad school and it really really shaped both Mm -hmm. our marriage and Mm -hmm. i think our routine and our rhythms and i'll let you speak into that yeah, I think if there's a way we can like put exclamation points on this, like we would totally do that. Cause, um, yeah, I grew up without it really being similarly like explained as to where we see it in scripture. It was more so, you know, it became just you go to church like three times a day and you can barely watch football and like <laughs> you know stores are closed or something yeah. like that. That's kind of how it became for us like growing up in our tradition. Um, but yeah, we were in grad school together. You know, I was in seminary at Azusa, and she was at Vanguard studying um, spirituality and theology and leadership. And so uh, we were both learning about Sabbath and finding that this is just an amazing practice that is just embedded into the rhythm that God's hardwired into the universe. You know, like you said, He has Sabbath Himself to to model to us this like um, this rhythm of work and rest and how we're shaped by both. Um, and the beautiful thing about it, I think it shapes us in so many different ways, and I can talk for hours on it, but I won't. Um, but one of the things I think that I found that it's really, it really does was that it, it pulls us out of the values of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when God tells the uh, Israelite people to remember Sabbath, he says to practice the Sabbath because God rested, but also practice the Sabbath because you were once slaves in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to keep yourself from becoming masters to slaves and to enslave other people so treating other people with oppression and falling into the lie that people are only worth what they produce Mm. 
this practice actually shapes us against that. And so it's this real divine like rebellion against the values of the world that say you have to produce, you have to perform in order to have value. And so we recognize that when we practice the Sabbath, we then slow down and say, it's hard to like, yeah. you know, say like, I'm not going to do anything. And you feel like God's what's going to happen with this, what's going to happen with my work, with my school, yeah. with my relationships. And, um, and to trust that like when you don't do anything, God's still at work on your behalf, mm-hmm. that you can resign as general manager of the universe and like, <laughs> he'll, he'll be okay. And so then you start to then like say like, okay, I have a value that's different than just what I produce and what yeah. I perform. And then you can actually see other people that way and say you're worth you know, so much because you just carry the image of God. And so then when the world's trying to say like, well, some people are worth more because they make more money or they have more status, we can say, no, that's not true. We know actually that everybody's made in the image of God because we're shaped in such a way that people have value beyond what they do. And that's, Sabbath is just one practice that helps us do that. But also just for us, I think like when we were grinding in just a season of both of us in grad school at the same time, just got married, like this rhythm really saved us. It was Mm -hmm. just like, oh man, we needed it. Our souls were hungry for it because it's how we were wired. Um, and then just to speak into it practically because yeah. I'm a practical person yeah. um, it wasn't us just sitting there reading our Bible Absolutely. you know <laughs> like um, we'd go to church we'd have a really bomb like brunch after church we'd um, do things that we enjoy so things like hanging out with our family hanging mm-hmm. out with friends going for a walk at the park riding our bikes going to the beach um honestly like turning off all of social media and just being present to each other and the people around us and um, just being aware of God's presence with us so um, not necessarily just sitting there you know worshiping all day but still worshiping and enjoying like the life God has given us but just in different ways yeah and you know on the first Sabbath when we it's funny because it was day seven for God but it was actually day one for Adam and Eve Mm. and so before they got to work to like join him in creating the world alongside of him and being fruitful and multiply, he says, no, first I need to show you all that I've done already. And mm-hmm. so Sabbath is a, a chance for us to see all that God's given us already. And so we can be caught up in trying to grind to get more or even to do more ministry or to like reach people differently, right? Um, but Sabbath is saying, no, we're going to pause and see how God's already at work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a couple notes on just practically some more like resources Keeping the Sabbath Holy by Marva Dawn and the Sabbath Experiment by Rob Mathia. Um, those are really great resources on just like, how do I actually like plan a Sabbath? And it could be fun and life-giving because imagine like being Adam and Eve, like walking around, like seeing a mango tree for the first time. You're like, whoa, like, and God says, before you get to work, before you join me in like making something, let's just enjoy. And that's what it should be about. Enjoying God's world in God's presence. That's great. So good. So good. Next question is can a or i'm going to rephrase it to say is it okay for a christian to vote democrat okay is it okay for a christian to vote democrat democrat um okay uh three two one Okay, clean sleep. Yes. Why do we All always right. agree? What's going on here? I know we need more drama. <laughs> um, this is a tough question. I feel like a lot of Christians uh, would say that it's how no, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's a little challenging. I don't really like politics because mm. it divides the church mm-hmm. and it just divides people in general. Mm. Um, yeah. I read um, a book by Siamo Rodriguez um, called The Lamb's Agenda, and it really changed my focus on thinking of politics. Is not it's not about the agenda of the donkey, 
um, or the elephant, but rather mm-hmm. it's about the lamb of the agenda or the, the agenda okay. of the yeah. lamb. Yeah. Um, and that, and in, and in, in God. And, um, I feel like it's not mandated in scripture that, um, Christians have to vote Republican. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Okay. I think I did grow up or I guess being taught similar to what you're saying though of like most Christians are Republican that's the way you should vote that's like the right way and I honestly just assumed like that that's what it was and um for my first couple years of voting that's how I would vote like anytime I would see a person's name and then see Republican next to their name I just knew like okay that's the person that I'm voting for Hmm. just because I assumed that everything that was Republican equaled Christian. Mm. Um, Until, again, I got older and just started to learn more about politics and just my faith became my own. I realized it's not as black and white as that. As much as I wish politics was black Mm -hmm. and white, it's really not. And we have friends on every side of the spectrum, like far right, far left, like, and everything in between. and I think that they both have um, really great reasons as to why they vote the way that they vote. So, yeah, I think a Christian can vote Democrat. Yeah. This question makes me really sad, <laughs> even the way that like we can phrase it. Like, is that even okay? Yeah. Because it, and the assumption is like, you know, we're not asking is it okay for Christians to vote Republican? Because for some reason that's assumed that that's more Christian. And I grew up the same way. And it just breaks my heart because there is no political party that's made in the image of God. Yeah. Um, Jesus would not belong to either party. Um, and it just is tragic to me because I think even some people outside of the church think that, oh, yeah. well, you know, you are, you know, Christians and Republicans are one and the same. And that is mm-hmm. such a tragedy that we as the church have like sold our soul to either political party. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really just breaks my heart, to be honest. Um, and it gets me really angry too. Yeah. Um, but and, and a lot of it is because I kind of grew up under that same mentality. You know, like the word liberal was like a cuss word. And, you know, I'm like, <laughs> oh man. And so, um, but really what I think it comes down to is how do we engage in a world that, you know, is still on this side of God making all things new and we're following Jesus into it. And you see that Jesus is involved in the politics of its day. Um, and so he's saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God. And he's challenging the empire of Rome. And um, the scriptures that I kind of draw inspiration from when it talks, you know, when thinking about how to engage politically is um, in the prophets. In the mm-hmm. prophets, these are um, God's word to his people living underneath the powers and principalities and rulers that are not following God. And so it's a total letter to us. We are exiles in that same way to where we are not in a land of our own and we're underneath this rulership, the American government for however a fan or not you are of it is the same as Babylon or Egypt. And so the words to God's people there on um, how to live in that way, I think are the same that we should be heeding. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, you know, God's letter to his exiles, to the, the people of God in a place that's living underneath a different kind of law and politics, he says, seek the peace of the city. Seek the shalom of the city that you're in. So go to work, get married, send your kids to school, like live as a part of that. And so go to city council meetings and advocate and vote and, and be a part of the issues that your, your community is facing. Seek the peace and the wholeness and the shalom of the city. 
Um, but we hold that also in tension with Daniel 3, right? Where we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are hearing the national anthem of their empire being played and they're told to bow down to their flag, which was a statue at the time. And they take the opposite posture, you yeah. know? We kind of see the same thing like Colin Kaepernick, right? Taking the opposite <clears throat> posture of the empire when they're telling us to worship it. It's a worship service for this, um, this political system. And so at some points we have to take the opposite posture of everybody else. That's what it means to live in a kingdom that's inside of a nation, right? Mm. Um, and at other times, at the same time, we hold that intention with, but also giving ourselves sacrificially to make that place um, as good as we can make it for all people. And so it's a real tension. Being um, a follower of Jesus in a land that has politics as a part of it is just, it's not easy. Mm -hmm. I wish it was black and white too. And there's some things in each party that is, you know, in line, I think, with God's heart. Mm -hmm. And also there's everything in there that is corrupt and absolutely breaks the heart of God on both sides of the spectrum. And um, what really makes this, like, easy and difficult, but what opened my eyes up to it is when you start to meet genuine followers of Jesus who are giving themselves for the healing of the world, and they vote either way. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, you know, relationships always dissolve any kind of um, clear black and white like barriers we have. Like all of that theory is great until you actually are with people. Yeah. And then that goes away because you're with somebody who's given their life to follow Jesus and they're doing it in line with this party or that party. And it's just kind of we leave that up to God, you know. Yeah, so. that's good. It's a very touchy subject. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Politics. Email him about it. <laughs> Another tough one. Yeah. Right. All these questions are tough. They've been yeah. tough, man. I'm sweating. <laughs> is it possible for a Christian to lose their salvation? Ah. Is it possible for a Christian to lose their salvation? Oh. I don't even know where to stand on this. Yes. Oh, gosh. Okay. I think my phone's ringing. <laughs> uh, gosh. Okay, okay. Okay, three, two, one. Ah. Uh. <laughs> I'm oh, <laughs> okay, okay, fine, 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 fine. Which one do you yeah, do? I'll just do this. Thing. Okay. Oh, gosh. Um, no. <laughs> you go first. What was your first Okay, okay, thing? okay. So, I, I said how, yeah. Um, <laughs> both Jonathan and Cindy said um, how, yeah, and how, no. Yeah, so you cannot uh, take this one. Man. It's tough. This yeah. is tough. Um, it depends on, I don't know. Um. How would you define salvation? I'm gonna kind of frame this in a question because, like, yeah. try to break. They're like, yeah, talk this through because I, I, I really don't even know. That really is the question. I think that comes out to it, and yeah. um, I think the like salvation and the idea of like the results of like what happens on you know the last day, the day of the Lord, um, when Jesus is making all things new at the resurrection. You know, um, that is, I think, it's just totally up to God, and like we just can't know that, mm -hmm. but. Um, in salvation, I think, and what we're invited to in Scripture, um, Jesus, you know, doesn't necessarily ever say, say this prayer, so that if you die tonight, you know, your soul goes somewhere else. Um, it's never about getting fire insurance, right? So that yeah. you're just, like, safe. His invitation is always, follow me, follow me, follow me. And so I think what that, um, you know, this question I think a lot of people ask because they view salvation as, like, this tightrope 
where it's like if I do this, you know, is that the sin? And then I like fall off of it and then I have to like repent again. Like I've been to like 10,000 altar calls, give my life back to Jesus. Cause I was like, dang, I cussed during that Raider game or like, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. Or like, I like was rude to somebody like, could that be it? You know? Um, and so I don't think that's the, the imitation of Jesus. Jesus is like, follow me with your entire life. Mm-hmm. And so there's always more that we can follow Jesus into. There's always more of our life that we can surrender over. And so salvation is the um, process of really giving our entire life for the entirety of our life into following Jesus and becoming like him. And so that one day, as Dallas Willard says, that when God makes everything new, some people, you know, they won't even notice because their life has already actually been living into that vision Mm -hmm. their entire life. And I think that's more the goal. Rather, it's something that could be lost. It's what more is there that could be gained in following Jesus even deeper and closer um, and I think that's just a more helpful question. So. And I feel like with that definition of salvation, like I feel like people can choose in their life to go a different direction or like sure. to not yeah. to not continue down that path. So in that moment, I feel like they do lose their salvation yeah. because they choose to yeah. not continue on that path. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why I kind of said how, yeah. Sure. Yeah, totally. I just, I keep going back to God being a gracious God, and um, I do think you're right, Joe, that there is a choice, and um, obviously if someone's blatantly, like, making those choices on purpose, then there's, like, a reason behind their motives, but I also think that a lot of people who ask this question is more like what Jonathan's saying, like, oh, I just did one thing bad, like, shoot, I gotta say the sinner's prayer again so that... I don't lose my salvation and I don't think that's the goal like it's not about like losing or gaining your salvation but to echo what Jonathan said is just following Christ Mm -hmm. I think even to marry those two thoughts like you know when we when we do wander away from the path like what is God you know what does Jesus teach us about the heart of God when we've wandered that he'll leave the 99 and go after the one you know Mm -hmm. that it's like a father looking for that lost son and I don't know it's a mystery it's one of those things that's totally a mystery Um, but what I see in scripture is that there's something about the heart of God that is always pursuing us Mm -hmm. and yeah, we can, I think, um, keep wandering, keep running, or as C.S. Lewis would say, like we kind of like, he'll give us what we want, which is separation from him, Mm -hmm. um, is kind of the idea that he thinks about in this, in terms of this question, but it's totally, I don't know, man. It's, it's, really <laughs> it, it, yeah. it's tough. It's, it's yeah. a tough one. Um, this one, next one should, might be a little bit easier. Um, is it okay for a Christian to listen to secular music? Hmm. Or should a Christian should? listen okay, to that's different. secular music? Okay, yeah, let's, let's frame it that way. Should a Christian listen to secular music? Okay. Um, and go ahead and show your answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we got some disagreement. Oh, we got there some we go. disagreement, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I I pick how no because I think the power of words um, they they mean something, and I feel like uh, for me personally, I don't listen to secular music just because I want to listen to music that glorify God and that speaks victory over my life mm-hmm. and that declares these promises over my life. So. I'm not into all these different types of music that there's some songs that are really good and there's some songs that are not so good. There are, I think it's based on the lyrics really. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's a lot of great 
songs that have good music but horrible <laughs> lyrics mm. and i feel like it would be challenging in a sense to try to find that balance of like listening to music that glorifies god and declares promises over your life and listening to these songs that are not so holy and songs that probably speak death sure. and like mm -hmm. ridicule and all this different things yeah but you guys are experts <laughs> i am curious though just to play like devil's advocate for yeah. a second okay so like kanye west or yeah kanye west just came out with an album what's it called jesus jesus is king. Is king. okay so before this album would you consider him a quote-unquote secular artist or christian artist it depends on the lyrics and i think looking at the lyrics it would probably be secular okay and then what about this album? I haven't listened to it, so okay. I, I wouldn't be able to so, so you, to say anything based upon that. Okay, what about <laughs> Chance the Rapper? Have you heard, like, Blessings? Yes, I have. Okay, so is that a secular song or a Christian song? It, it's challenging. That, that song's <laughs> challenging just because it does mention God and all this stuff. Uh -huh. But I think it... Um, it's it's dependent. What I'm look, learning in Christian worldview is that it's dependent on the intent of the artist. Okay. And I feel like the intent of that song was to kind of glorify God. Mm. Um, now the rest of his songs may not all be glorifying to God, mm -hmm. and they might not all be Christian, or they can be considered secular. Okay. Mm. So would you listen to that song and not the rest of them? Or would you not even listen me, to that me one? Me personally, I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't. Okay. okay. Just yeah, genuinely helpful. curious. Yeah. yeah. Um, I grew up, again, not listening to quote-unquote secular music because I was told that it was bad and wrong. Um, and then, again, I developed my own faith and realized, like, some of the music on the radio is, like, really fun. And, like... <laughs> way more fun to dance to, mm -hmm. sometimes way more fun to like sing to. Um, and sometimes some worship music to me, if I'm being quite honest, sounds exactly the same. <laughs> and so um, if, like, if I'm just like driving to the beach and I just want like a good bumping song, sometimes that meant like, I'm gonna listen to Chance the Rapper over like Bethel music <laughs> because <laughs> that's not gonna put me in the same mood. Um, I do think, however, there is, like you're saying, power over words. So um, I will say there is a difference in my spirit when I'm listening to um, Christian music. And when I'm going through a difficult season or a hard time, my first thought isn't, let me go listen to Beyonce right now. My initial thought is like, I want to go listen to some worship music because that's going to edify my soul and my spirit. Um, so I think it's kind of like context, what you need in that moment, in that season. Um, I do think Christian music has like really taken me, like taken me out of like some really difficult seasons, difficult moments, um, makes me feel close to Jesus, makes me feel, or makes me like recognize the presence of Jesus, um, in those moments. And so I think Christian music's amazing. Um, I just also think that 
quote-unquote secular music is fun too (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i put how yeah just because i think those categories of christian and secular are made up like we don't see them in scripture um and so because a label decides that it's going to be called you know christian of a christian bookstore and a christian like that's a business too they're deciding that something's called christian or not mm-hmm. and something's called secular or not so I, I i do agree though this like intent of the artist is something important to consider i think like i'd start like my like process and thinking um with um like I already said, like some things are permissible, but they're not beneficial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so just because it's okay doesn't mean it, sh- it is shaping you in the way that you want and desire to, to be shaped into more of Christ likeness. Um, and I think um, also like the, you know, the scripture that calls us to whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, like think on these things. Mm-hmm. And music does have the ability to shape our imagination and to shape um, yeah. the way we think. But also it, doesn't say that Christian record labels have a monopoly. Like Bethel Music doesn't own everything that's true, everything that's lovely, everything mm-hmm. that's beautiful. I think that people who are even just opening up their imagination, like the psalmist is, into observing creation, can also say something that is true, that is lovely, that is beautiful. And I wouldn't limit God to what's sold in a Christian bookstore, you know, or yeah. what is labeled on Spotify as Christian or worship or not. Like I think He can use all of those things. And I've had just a similar um, experience of like a worshipful experience, aware of the presence of God, drawn to gratitude and worship, listening to rap. Mm-hmm. And I've also had some, you know, um, NWA songs that are really lamenting like we see in scripture against injustice in their neighborhood that they've experienced racial injustice and and poverty and they're using some cuss words to lament it but so is david in the psalms Mm. you know we we translate it differently in our in our versions to be a little softer but really it's cuss words he's he's saying the same exact things that nwa would be saying in their context (laughs) and i think that those things help me to then consider injustice differently and so it's not for everybody though like that you know you don't It is really a personal, I think, conversation to discern between you and the Holy Spirit as to what is going to set my mind on things above? What is going to shape me to become more like Christ? And there are seasons I definitely, like sometimes around Lent, will will think differently about that. And I'll give myself a season of only listening to instrumental music where there's no lyrics or to, you know, more traditional worship style music. Um, And other times I won't. And it's... um, we're all different in the way that we've just discerned that mm-hmm. right then. Yeah. But I think the most important thing is like, how do we shape our imaginations more towards Christ likeness? And I do agree like with the words too, like listening to the words. Sometimes we'll be listening to a song on the radio and I'm like, Oh, let's change it. Yeah. Because I know right away it's taking my mind to a place that's not glorifying God mm-hmm. or like not good thoughts. Um, and so I have to make that like game time decision. Like, okay, this is just not one of those songs that I'm going to listen to and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Next question. Yeah. Here we go. Do all religions lead to God? Oh, <laughs> Do all religions lead to God? Okay. Uh, three, two, one. I don't even know. I'm not a theologian. I don't know. Either. I don't know. Okay. Jonathan um, has a sentiment. So, let's him, let's oh, let man. him answer. Yeah. So um, I said how no. Yeah. Um, Cindy and Jonathan both said um, how maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jonathan is, um, you're just, you're a genius. Uh, no. I just, I just have an endive, which means I literally just like paid more money to be able to ask these same questions. <laughs> 
I went to seminary just to ask them in a different way. Yeah. No, but um, yeah, I put hell yeah and hell no because um, I've just come to really like not limit God and what he can do. But I think there's something interesting in the way that the question is phrased, right? It's saying, um, do all religions lead to God? And if we think about the way that's phrased, it's starting with us as the pursuer, mm. right? But immediately in Genesis 3, when sin and death enters the story, God comes into the garden, and his first question is, where are you? Mm-hmm. And that, as a lot of theologians have pointed out, that begins God's pursuit of us. And then as we see again in the forming of the, the people of Israel, that God's trying to make a people that will draw everybody you know, to him, so he's pursuing us again. And then we see in Jesus coming and taking on flesh and moving into our world, that that's him again pursuing us. And then the Holy Spirit comes again to pursue us. And so God is the one who's pursuing us and making all things new in us and through us and around us. Um, And so I think the question should be reversed. And I think that there are times that God can pursue us maybe through other religions. Like I just, I wouldn't be surprised. And I'm like not going to limit God on if, there are people whose heart and posture are open, even like we see in Scripture, and some people who are outside of the people of Israel um, would come to know the God of Israel um, by just genuinely seeking, or as we see in you know, the New Testament, and having an altar to the unknown God and having that posture open. I think if you give God an inch, he'll still pursue you enough. And so um, he's always pursuing us. And so I just wouldn't be surprised if he would use somebody who's faithfully trying to serve God in the way that they've grown up to know them, to know that, you know, there's a creator out there, as, you know, some ancient Native American tribes would just say creator. And we would affirm that and know they're not like doing, you know, the same kind of worship practices on Sunday that we do, but they're genuinely seeking and um, we hear stories after stories of, you know, missionaries who will go to other nations and they'll say, oh, yes, we've been, we have a story for that about a God who came and died on our behalf. Or we have a, you know, um, a worship practice that's kind of like, commu- there's just like so much that God is just so creatively pursuing us that I just, I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't limit him to say that it's outside the realm. Yeah. Amen. Yes and amen. <laughs> I say yes and amen to that. Yes. <laughs> All right. We'll be uh, wrong together then. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. We'll find yeah, out. Yeah, that's exactly eventually. the answer. We'll yeah. find out. We don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, well, that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for joining us Ooh, man. Um, for this podcast. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> make sure that you um, tune in, uh, like, subscribe on all your favorite platforms. Um, if you have any questions about leadership or theology, feel free to email us at altwithacupofjoe at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at altcupofjoe. And also their Instagram information is going to be in the summary section of today's podcast. Um, thank you for tuning in and we'll be posting um, a new podcast the second Thursday of every month and remember even the little things make a difference Mm -hmm.